This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When the spawn meets world. What up, bro? Ooh. What up, bro? I was giving you that siren song, <laughs> that siren song. And welcome to Bra Meets World. This is our extra credit episode. I'm seeing movie. I am Tony Curtis. Uh, and this is our extra credit episode on The Little Mermaid. You know, it's funny. I had mentioned a few months ago, like, I'm never going to go to another live action Disney movie. Like, I've given up on them all. And there were things about this movie that made me so curious that I knew I had to see it. And just like you, I wanted to talk about it as soon as I left the theater. Exactly, exactly. I I have to say, okay. So for me, I want to do things a little bit differently because I was like, I want to start off on a positive note. We're going into a three-day weekend. We are getting, you know, like, summer's around the corner. Let's just, I'm, I'm feeling the essence of, let's start with positivity. And then if we have any critiques and or <laughs> opinions that may not be as positive, we'll go into that. All right, so for those of you who don't know, we are talking about the 2023 live action remake of the little mermaid the 1989 i want to say 1987 little mermaid um that uh yeah this is a recreation of that starring uh halle bailey and jonah howard king i want to say is how you say his name along with Um, mccarthy and javier bardem exactly um we also get uh david diggs and aquafina are some other names that are in the cast. And in reality, um, for for those of you who have not seen the movie yet or are anticipating, we want to let you know our conversation will be f- spoiler-filled. In fact, I thought about doing a non-spoiler section, and I was like, I know TC well enough where that's just not possible. It's not possible. <laughs> and honestly, guys, who doesn't know this story by now? Who hasn't seen The Little Mermaid? I mean, there's very little that changes. We'll get into it at all, but um, you you know the basic gist of it. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, this is the 2023 a live-action remake of the Little Mermaid. For those who are unfamiliar with the story of The Little Mermaid, it involves uh, young Ariel, daughter of King Triton of the Ocean. She is one of his seven daughters. Um, unlike the other sisters, she is much more interested in exploring and finding out more about the human world, which her dad dislikes because in this movie we find out that humans were responsible for the death of Ariel's mother. So there's Correct. long-term beef there. Um, however, despite her dad's warnings, Ariel is attracted to these humans. She finds one that she thinks is cute. He falls overboard. She saves him, gives him a siren song. He falls for her. She, trying to be with him, goes to her aunt in this movie, mm-hmm. Ursula, who is a sea witch, who promises that she could help her with her problem by making her into human. 
for three days, she has to win over the heart of the prince by getting a kiss. Although in this movie, there's a little spell on her that makes her forget that she's supposed to get that kiss. Yeah, so there are some down... differences. Keep yeah, going. so it, it all go, comes down to um, Flounder and Sebastian and Scuttle to help orchestrate and try to make this kiss happen. But as soon as they get close, Ursula steps in and she uh, disguises herself as a as the woman who saved Eric with wearing Ariel's siren song. Ariel finds out, takes the song back. Ursula transforms giant monster fight scene uh, wedding happily ever after alan minkin score closing credits um that's basically right. it right perfectly you summed it up just right <laughs> um you know what i will say there are some differences between the animated version and the quote-unquote live action version um there are new songs that we get there are different motivations for characters. Um, yeah, I mean, some yeah. storylines are completely different. Um, some have been just slightly altered. Um, you know, a lot of the changes I kind of liked, to be honest. Um, you know, I, if we could just kind of get into maybe those yeah. specifics. Let's let's give our first impressions. Okay. Positive. Positive. <laughs> and it's so funny that you say that because I also was like, feeling a little overly critical when I left theater and I was like, you know what, let me sleep on this. And the next day I was like, I think I was a little too harsh. I think there's, there's a lot, a lot of good there. I, I, and like, I Go ahead. I, I, I was, was going to say, <laughs> I'll say that for me, it's important to know. And everyone like the little mermaid is so important to a lot of people specifically. I would say there's a whole generation of queer people who like just identified and connected with the little mermaid the little mermaid is a story of want and desire and i don't feel right in this world that i live in i don't feel right in this body that i have um there are a lot of allegories that people tend to read into this story and so this is a this was my all-time favorite disney movie growing up um as a child and i always say that you can tell what someone wants in life by their Dis their favorite disney princess like if if you tell me who your favorite disney princess was that tells me a lot about like what you thought about love and life growing up and ariel was mine so i i will say that i am coming at this from a place of i love the 1987 version and it's really important to me. So I'm just going to, I wanted to put that out there so we understand that I am uh, coming to this from a place of love. <laughs> no, same. I mean, this, uh, you know me, I'm a giant Disney nerd. Little Mermaid is the start of the Disney renaissance that we were so fortunate to, enough to grow up in, um, where you had these heavy hitters pretty much every year, every other year, starting with Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, like just some of the greatest Disney movies ever made were within like our childhood. And yeah. like, this was also the time when Disney started releasing VHSs of their movies for the first time. So for the first time, we could rewatch movies over and over and over again and learn them and like have them ingrained into us in ways that our parents couldn't just because they had to wait every seven years for those movies to be released into theaters. So um this movie and positives let's talk let's talk about some things that you liked about the movie what did you like about this movie i okay i'll say this 
for the most part, I loved the casting of this movie. I thought that everyone, for the most part, showed up. They understood the assignment. Whether or not, um, you know, I felt like they gave memorable performances. Like, it, it's not really that. Like, you can't go into this. This is a Disney live action movie. You have to know what you're getting into. You're going to see a beat for beat, for the most part, remake. Correct. And it's almost like seeing a Broadway play with a new cast versus seeing like a new telling of an old story. And so when you have that in mind, you're like, oh, like, you know what? The dude who plays Prince Eric really surprised me. I, he has a pretty decent voice. Um, I thought David Diggs did pretty well as Sebastian in ways that I wasn't expecting. And I will say, like, to, to, is to... a superstar. I just want to say that she is the the thing about this movie that works. If you if she wasn't in this, if there was if she wasn't casted right, I don't know that the rest of the movie would work as well. But she is the thing that made the movie work for me. Ali Bailey. Um, for those of you who don't know, she grew up. She was part of the duo uh, Chloe and Halle. Um, she and her sister were also on the show Grownish. And now they each have their own career paths. Um, Halle Bailey acting and her sister music slash acting. Um, this is a very important movie as well because it's like we get a black mermaid. Um, it's almost kind of like that 1998 Cinderella version of like sure, yeah. race isn't what we're really focused on here. We are for the most part just whoever fit the bill was cast. And that's, I think Javier Bardem does a great King Triton. I was yeah. like, oh, actually this works for me. And I, I'm so glad you brought up uh, Brandy Cinderella. Cause I thought that same thing within the casting. And I thought that like this movie felt so much like a fairy tale. I couldn't place the location quite like exactly. I, it seemed like there was a mythology that existed that didn't exist in our world that made me kind of buy into the fantasy elements of it and not really tie my human understanding of just like locations or anything like that or even race to this fairy tale story. Exactly. And then like, so for example, Ariel's sisters, um, like they are beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous casting i think each one of their character designs is like so interesting and i think they're each supposed to like represent one of the seven seas and so... which i loved i love that concept because why of course king triton would have the seven C be controlled of the seven seas and the fact that all of his daughters because in the cartoon they all look different and i was like oh king triton's getting around but yeah. really it kind of makes sense to have these uh representatives from each you know of of these locations and i i Part of me is like interested in the mythology of are these daughters by birth or are they kind of like adopted daughters? I feel like they're by birth because if we're going to talk about like kingdoms and stuff, you usually will take on someone and have a child just to kind of like proclaim your space and be like, oh, you can be mad that I'm king, but now there's an heir from your region. How mad are you really? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like it's 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 a very historically accurate approach, and I just thought that was interesting. And then again, they're all gorgeous, so it's like, yeah, who are you mad at? The, and this is the part that kind of confused me a little bit because of all the daughters kind of representing actual places in the world. I was like, well, where is Ariel supposed to be? Is this the Caribbean? Like, and if so, is she supposed to represent these slaves that were thrown off of ships? Uh, you know like, what? I mean, there's a deep, deep, I, it's so funny that you say that because a part of me, 
a part of me was, I don't know how to explain it or even why, but a part of me kind of made that link too. Because she is an American, it seems at least American adjacent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a good question to ask. Um, and going back to Halle Bailey, Halle Bailey, her voice is magnificent. Um, Amazing. She, there are moments where she literally just looks like Ariel, like like the animated version of Ariel. And I, think I mean, she is she is stunning. Like in terms of just like being a Disney princess, I don't know that they could have casted anyone who has not just the appearance, but also that voice that stops traffic. But also just like a heart and a genuineness to her. Like she, you felt an innocence to her performance in the ways that you believed her, even when Ariel was making choices that were naive. Yeah. Um, she just sold it really well. I will say like also the movie in general is beautifully done. Like it reminded me like, like when it opened up, I was like, oh, we're not far off from getting a live action Finding Nemo. Like, like it just felt like, like, you know, like what I mean? Because like Finding Nemo, like what happened with Disney from what I understand is like, in each movie that they do, they challenge themselves to really focus on something. And Finding Nemo was this movie where they like wanted to do the ocean really well, really detailed. And so to see this movie, which is like the elevation of where Finding Nemo was with um, digital artwork to where we are now, I was like, oh, we're not far from getting a Finding Nemo live action because everything was just so well done uh i actually like there are so many things that i thought would bother me like flounder like sebastian and they worked i feel like flounder actually worked for me i feel like sebastian's design really worked for me and uh david's um humor like there there are things that i were went in here expecting to be bothered by and I actually enjoyed. You know, I will agree. Okay, because I actually had issues with some of the visuals, specifically the underwater scenes. So I'll save that for the latter half. But I will say that, yes, the actual physical designs of Sebastian and Flounder and Scuttle, specifically when we were on land, I thought worked very, very well. Um, and even like the way that, just the like the set and the setting of everything like this island felt very like it had this like Caribbean flair to it and yeah. it had this community and I love the way they had community. like uh the townsfolk and how Ariel kind of mingled in with everyone like I, I I thought all of that was really beautiful and the way they shot those like dance sequences uh with her and Eric you know with the townspeople dancing yeah. I just thought that's all worked really well I love the hat thing like the little hat so cute. so cute yeah. I thought that was nice I really enjoyed that um, I will also say Aquafina to me worked. Like I I got the raspiness of her voice actually did work for me in what they were trying to do. And there are some new songs that I was like, I don't know how you feel, but Scuttlebutt, I enjoyed. I I thought it was interesting. Okay. I thought it was something that A, it was written by Lynn Manuel, and I was like, this is Absolutely a Lynn Manuel addition. However, for Aquafina, for this moment, I was like, I'm getting the energy. It's, it's playful. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to talk about this movie or how people receive this movie who have kids. Because I do Definitely. think the biggest thing with Disney 
and these live action remakes is that you have so many adults who have really deep connections to the animated versions that come in and like will feel however they feel about sure. the live action version. But when you're a kid, I do feel like there is something special about seeing a black mermaid and seeing Definitely. just the beauty of like mermaids in this way that I'm not going to get because it's just not what I came for. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, you're talking about like going into a movie spoiler free, like all adults know this movie and we have this picture in our head of what we've always imagined the live action version. And that's part of like, when I'll save this towards the later half too, but just kind of my overall thoughts on why I don't think a majority of these remakes work well, because you are actively competing against masterpieces that have been- Literal you know, masterpieces. Masterpieces in the minds of children worldwide and have become part of people's DNAs. And so I, I think that's always gonna be a challenge, but this specific movie, I feel probably does a better job than most of um, bringing the heart and the essence of the original to the screen in ways that I wasn't like there's been some Disney movies I've rolled my eyes at literally the entire time. Lion King is such a weird, freaky experience to me. I don't know how anyone can even call that a live action movie. <laughs> All of it is like a fever dream watching these animals talk is so weird to me. Um, these human stories, I feel work better when, you know, um, and so, yeah, I, I there, there is a lot of really good things that came from this movie. I thought that the uh, vocal performances were really good. I thought Aquafina did a really good job as Scuttle. Um, you know, I had some thoughts about uh, Scuttle, but, but I'll say that. But what I will say is that Prince Eric's new song I really enjoyed. And yes. also Ariel has a song that she sings when she's like just getting onto land for the first time. And she's like finding her balance with her new Correct. legs. But I thought was really a a solid song. Um, it's really hard to add new songs to these movies because like the, probably more than the movies, the music of these original films are ingrained into our memories. And, you know, it's really hard to compete with, you know, Alan Minkin is the original composer, Howard Ashman, the original lyricist, Oscar winners for mm -hmm. what they've done. Um, and, you know, th they are almost responsible for the sound of the Renaissance in so many ways. So to insert a new song into that fold and have it blend in seamlessly, for the three new songs, I would say two out of three really did that for me. That's great. So, um, yeah. You know what? And, and, and to your point, uh, I want to take a moment and talk about Melissa McCarthy. Because she's another oh, yeah. one where I thought that a lot of people had feelings about her casting and say what you want. I feel like there are, are other people who I probably would have had it been me casting, but she did well. And I thought her humor works. I thought that she, she brought a presence and an idea or a take on the character that I was like, I understand why they chose you. Um, I, yeah, I, I thought she did for the role she was given, I thought she killed it. I thought, like, I was really impressed. I thought her singing voice was really, uh, got the job done. It wasn't, like, impressive like Hallie's is, but she, for, you know. For a non-singer. For a non-singer, this woman who I found on Gilmore Girls, yeah. like, she is killing it and she is owning it. And I, I would even say, this was the one thing, a uh, compliment I gave to this movie that I thought outshined the original was the third act scene with Ursula as, like, the giant Ursula. 
I thought was truly terrifying and engaging. And I thought uh, she gave a really captivating performance. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had no complaints, uh, you know, no notes on her. Yeah. Performance at all. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think in general, like if you were questioning whether or not you should see it, I feel like it's totally worth seeing. I feel like um, depending your relationship with the original, you will have thoughts. Um, oh, can I, think- I say something real fast? Because you were talking, uh, uh, yeah, you were talking about how like, um, you know, how kids who go see this movie are when you're watching this movie with kids, they're going to have a different impression of it. Yeah. And so I, I, I saw this movie on accident. I went to the mall to return a shirt to H&M and I saw that they were doing an early screening. I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I was in the theater with almost all adults. Um, and so it was a different experience. But when I saw Aladdin, I was in the theater with mostly kids and I actually went with children. And what I noticed was, even though it was engaging, there's something about animation specifically that resonates with children in a way that live action movies, no matter how much they're geared to, towards children, will not have the same effect. And even though I think it's incredibly important for little black girls to be able to see themselves represented in this, um, the fact that we still don't have a lot of black animated characters representing yeah. represented within Disney I feel like is denying those kids that same connection because something about animation, um, even when it's a redhead white girl, it it just allows for you to kind of place yourself into those roles, I think, in in a way that's a little bit different. Um, And, you know, when I think about like Tiana, I'm like, she's fantastic. I felt like she was kind of wasted for most of that movie, but I, I just feel like there's something about the animation and for kids specifically that they relate to cartoons and they see cartoons, they feel like it's instantly for them in a way that live action just doesn't. That's such a good point. I never thought of it that way, but, and, and I, people with children or if you're a listener who have kids or whatever, please let us know because I, I'm so interested in that aspect because it actually makes sense to me. And I have no idea if there's like any research to back it, but like a cartoon for like a lot of people People assume cartoons are for children. So I can see how an animated thing, a kid would be like, oh, this is for me. But when it's live action, how invested do kids naturally feel? Do they feel like, oh, this is something I'm supposed to get into? Or do they feel like this is something for my parents that I may enjoy? You know? It's almost like kids who have like a the kids in our generation who have a really strong relationship with like Mary Poppins more so because their parents loved Mary Poppins and that was Correct. like their experience they had like you know relating with their parents and bonding with them was watching this movie I have to wonder as millennials when we take kids to go see these live action remakes is it not just different versions of that interesting I I, I, uh, I we don't have kids so yeah, yeah, we but like that's a, that's a very good question I would love to answer I think that I am ready to kind of move on into some of the uh opinions that I have on the movie uh how about you are you ready do you have anything else you want to say yeah I think that's that's covers all of my good okay so if you've made it this far with us thank you so much um now I will say we're about to get turned because I I wanted to be, I wanted to be positive. I wanted to be positive, but I have so many things that, okay. I, I said what I said about it being a very important piece of my childhood 
for a reason, which is to say that I understand that this is something that I like no breath for breath. Sure. Uh, and I'm very into that masterpiece as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was already going to feel a type of way and I knew that. Um, I feel very much in the lane of I don't know why we are doing live action remakes of things that already worked. Like I'm I I don't know if we've had this conversation, but give me a live action rescuer down under. Give yeah, we talked about this. Atlantis. Live, yeah. yeah, give me like give me different versions of live action or better yet, Cruella. Give me expansion. Like this movie hints at a history between Ursula and Triton. And it I was at like, a history between humans and mer people as well. And I was like, give me that movie. What are we doing? Like, yeah. like, I like, like, I already have the Little Mermaid. I can watch that a bajillion times. Give me this story, this dynamic. And that's a place that I would love to go personally. Or the other thing I think we talked about was the fact that there's seven sisters. Like, why do we only have to see the story of one? Maybe all of them have adventures and we can expand that universe. Um, I mean, and that's another thing I will say. As I like just to kind of start off, one of my biggest gripes is this movie is casted very well. And yet I don't feel like we get a lot of the characters that I would have been interested in seeing more of. Um mm-hmm. And the sisters are one. So just starting off, right off the bat, we lose the opening song. Yeah, we do. Ariel's sisters. And immediately I was like, this movie ain't for me. (laughs) (laughs) Because here's the thing. There were certain things where, uh, for for me, the opening song, Ariel's sisters song, is important for a few reasons. One, we get to meet the sisters. And you casted all these sisters amazingly. And they're beautiful. And they are so interesting looking. And I want to know about them. And the opening song introduces us to each of them. And not only does it introduce us to each of them, but it makes Ariel's voice important. Because the whole thing is... The sisters open their own song. They have a song, dance, number. Everyone's there to see them. And they're like, you think we're good? You think we're great? You haven't even met our youngest sister whose voice will knock you off your fins. And then there's all attention on Ariel and she's not there. And it's just like this big moment of the He misses a what seems to be something where the entire kingdom has come into attendance and it is like a public disgrace for her not to be there however in this movie it feels like she just missed the family meeting yeah exactly it's not even like a family dinner it's like a council meeting like everyone came into town to discuss business <laughs> no they say that there was like an event coming but they never show us said event yo okay 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 <laughs> so to, to that point they say something like blue corn moon but i'm just gonna call it that because i've been listening to other soundtracks and pocahontas blue corn moon but they say something like the blue corn moon is around the corner that's why triton calls everyone together from that beginning i was like oh that's interesting because if Air, if ursula's contract is the magic is only good for as long as the blue corn moon. Then I was like, oh, those three days make sense for Ursula to be like, look, you have to do this. But once the that moon comes up, 
all magic is gone or once it, it that blue corn moon's gone whatever that would make sense i was like oh you're giving me like a reason why it's three days specifically yeah. and nothing else because the blue corn moon is three days away like they kind of hint at that nothing don't expand on it at all and i was like oh so that was just nonsense okay well i guess i can let that go um i i think this movie um you know one of the first things i felt while watching it and one of the first things i thought afterwards was how like unorganic the transitions are from story beat to story beat it's very much like okay we did this thing from the movie now let's do this thing from the movie now let's do this thing from the movie and it doesn't feel like it organically like takes us from one thing to the next and if you didn't have a relationship with the original film it would feel really i feel like awkward and disjointed um to just the way that they sequence their scenes especially within like the first actor and like the first second act i love that you said that because my first review to my friend who had already seen it because he went to like a premiere is i was like everything is just happening there is no motivation there is no acting there's no reason behind things things are just happening and that really bums me out because i will say this love Halle Bailey the, her voice was great yeah. I was like you're not giving me reasons why you're doing anything other than I can see you be like I was told to do this therefore I am doing it like the thing about Little Mermaid is Ariel Ariel's love of wanting something more she is an explorer at heart she can't be contained in the environment that she's in and the whole under the sea song, like th- what what kills me is in animation they are able to give you nuanced and acting that you don't get in a live action movie, and that just drew me crazy because in and uh, under the sea, for example, number one, that is a communal song, and it's a communal thing, yeah. song specifically because it's trying to tell Ariel you want to go up there where you will be all alone. Here, you have community, the world around you. Look at how we all blend together. We live in harmony. They live in strife. That is like the purpose of that song. And Ariel is supposed to be kind of like half persuade, but also half like you're not getting it. You don't understand that even though all of this is here and I am a princess and I have access to everything, it's still just not scratching that itch and you're getting at oh, yeah I was say, you're getting at something that i felt was the major problem specifically with the first half of the film which is that this movie despite being this big disney live action movie feels cheaper and smaller yes. Yes. and it feels that way because just like that opening scene cut where we see the entire kingdom come there's no one there when Under the Sea, which, like you said, should have been a big communal number, got stripped down to a duet between Sebastian and Ariel. Strange. Okay. It doesn't make sense for Ariel to be singing along to that because she is not, like, she is supposed to be convinced. You're singing to her. Yes. You're convincing her. It doesn't make And then later on with... Whatever. Keep going. (laughs) Well, and later on during Kiss the Girl, it was the same thing where instead of having this, like orchestra of lagoon creatures come out and perform you only have the three cgi characters they could afford to make seemingly do the song and so like it 
it also affects the performances as well because what you're talking about is like the acting i'm like when they were underwater i was like am i even looking at an actual person or am i looking at a cgi recreation of a person's face am i even seeing their performance or is this something weird that's created on the computer i don't know it's so funny is that i will say this this movie feels limited by budget as you said like it feels somehow more limited by budget and like they wanted to make it so beautiful that they didn't care about the acting and i was like but I don't need to watch a beautiful movie. I need to watch a beautifully acted movie. Like I want to feel things and there was no feeling except what I brought to the movie. And like, again, the thing about poor unfortunate souls is another example of the original one is able to convey that Ursula is a car salesman. She is just like she's selling some Jetson. Now I got him, boys. Yeah, Blossom Jetson was another one where I was like, just so you guys know, Blossom Jetson do not have voices. And I was like, again, why, 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 why couldn't you give me two? By the way, another thing that I feel like is I don't need them to be two named actors, I don't need Michael Sarah and um, I don't know, (laughs) Jonah Hill. To be the voices of or Kevin Hart to be the voices of these two eels. It could have been anyone, any voice can, actor. Can I say something about that that really bothered me a lot about Floatsman Jetsam? And the reason is not only do they not have voices, until um they're trying to lure Ariel to the Sea Witch, they hardly are on camera. And I say that because for the first Four, three or four times we are introduced to Ursula, she is quietly monologuing to herself. We cut right. to her. It's like we have all these scenes, then we cut to Ursula. She's talking to no one. She is monologuing. Here is the backstory. Here's my motivation. Monologue, monologue, monologue. And I'm just like, dude, you're not even talking to your eels. Like, this feels just like so unnatural and like from a writer's perspective so lazy to convey your backstory this way instead of just showing us have ursula show up at the family thing and call some shit like show us that she's been banished instead of having her tell seemingly the audience what's going on as like backstory it's so frustrating absolutely well all right so for what you said to me is like why do flotsam and jetsam not have voices a, they are crucial. They they are her henchmen. And the whole thing is Ursula doesn't come to Ariel. She gets Ariel to come to her. Yeah. So it's Ariel's idea. That's the point of this all is that she's a mover, she's manipulative in this way where Ariel thinks that, oh, they like, I believe they don't even go to Ariel and they're like, you know who you should see. They're like, oh, poor little girl. You know who can help? Nah, nah. She she doesn't yeah. want she doesn't want her help. She should she, you know, like that's how yeah. it is. That's what it's supposed to be. And I'm just like amazed that an animated movie was able to convey that in a way a live action can't. And also by removing the voices of Flotsam and Jetsam, it makes you wonder why certain characters talk and other ones don't. <laughs> Under the Sea is a perfect example of we have all of these creatures, underwater creatures. Going along, not one says a word or a peep, no. and you're like, "Why?" Like the under the sea sequence really falls so flat. David Diggs does what he can, but to hear him go, um, you know, yeah, 
yeah. Like yeah. it just felt. I was like, dude, like this is supposed. Why would he to switch his voice? Everyone. Why it was so cool. We didn't actually see, like. I know maybe they did a version where they had like fish playing instruments and it looked cheesy. But like, why do this play. movie if you're not going to at least make some of that like larger than life ocean community that you were saying brought into it? I don't need the. I don't need a. Uh, a bass. to play the flute. Yeah, I don't need a bass <laughs> playing the bass. Like, I don't need that for this to work. Everything that they show, this is why I said this movie is beautiful. Everything that they show works. Yeah, but they should all still be singing. Why? Because Flounder speaks. If Flounder yeah. speaks, if Sebastian speaks, then why are Flotsam and Jetsam not speaking? Why Does the is shark? The- why doesn't no, the shark say something when it's that would have been like, such the shark? I was like, oh, give me an Australian voice like Bruce from Finding Nemo. Perfect moment. In. Perfect moment. Don't do it. Uh, under the sea, everyone's here. It's beautiful. Why is no one else singing? Like, why is it just David and Ariel? And it's one of those things where I'm like, it's for contract reasons. It's most likely because of COVID in some way. Like. This movie just felt restricted, and I'm well, like, well, it feels it's probably because Kevin Feige has hijacked all of the CGI artists in Hollywood, <laughs> so they only have so many they can spare for other studios. Um, you, but you don't need CGI in order to hear like songs for people well, to sing, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, I was gonna say about the Floatsome and Jetsome thing real fast before we move on from them is that by not having them be Ursula's like henchmen, like the you know how like the hyenas were for Scar? Like that's yes. what she needed them to be. Yes. Because at the end of the, you know, in the third act, she accidentally kills them. And there is almost no emotional connection that's been built up for the audience with her and these creatures that would lead for her to even be upset to get to that point where she escalates and grows into this giant monster. Like it doesn't really We need translate. to feel lost from her when they when yeah. they and Which like, means we need to see a real connection between her and these creatures, and we just don't. Also, to your point, um, this movie is too dark. Why are these movies so dark? The Little Mermaid is a colorful wonderland. And I don't understand, like, I've seen recreations where they just turn up the saturation on mm-hmm. these movies. And I'm like, yes, why are we not? First of all, the fact that someone can do it on their computer in 45 minutes proves that it can be done and why are we not doing this i don't understand why these it's even worse if you watch it in 3d like i did because 3d constantly darkens the tent as well so it even by the way this movie is not worth seeing in 3d there's nothing 3d about this movie do not go see it in 3d guys oh my god it's just it's (laughs) this is it's for me i think the crime is you don't understand like for me I, I think it's really important and i mentioned this earlier it's important to understand what i said about the gay allegory because sure. the movie and music was written the 1987 version by a man who ended up dying of aids howard ashman and yeah. howard ashman and that tone like the ursula being uh modeled after a drag queen the idea of divine willing, yeah being willing willing to leave your family behind for someone who makes you feel more at home for forbidden love is in fact something that was intentionally put in there and without you understanding that you don't really you can't really convey 
that longing that I was like, the thing about this, The Little Mermaid is it is a song about desire and want. Like the want song, which if anyone who knows anything about musicals, the want song, uh, part of their world is what captivates everyone. And you need to be able to sell that in a way that just like, it makes you understand as a kid, as I kept watching this being like, as a child, I understood her want. And I understood her father's want to keep her there. I understood Eric's want for adventure and like to find the girl whose voice that he had heard. Everyone had a want. I understood Sebastian's want to keep Ariel safe because that would keep his job safe. All of those things I could get. And that want is missing. There's no want. There just is. There's just happenings in this movie. And it really, really saddened me. Um, I'm really glad you brought up Howard Ashman and how, you know, he impacted uh, not just the music of the movies, because it's not just this one. So he worked on this. He worked on Beauty and the Beast and he actually died before Beauty and the Beast finished. And he also had a few songs that he worked on in Aladdin before he died as well. Um, But Beauty and the Beast is another one that has a lot of queer allegory that, uh, you know, there's full like YouTube videos on that will go into the details that you guys can watch. Um. But the reason why I bring him up is because if you watch any documentaries about Howard Ashman, he was so much more than just the lyricist. He came into Disney at a time when animation was something that was uh, like a redheaded stepchild. And he was just like, guys, we could make old fashioned Broadway musicals into animated films. And he became more of this Walt Disney uh, figure who inspired animators to tell richer stories through the music and it's not just music for the sake of music the song has to say something that words couldn't say and you can't you have to the songs have to move the story along so that you can't take the song out without the movie like losing meaning or it making less sense and so he just really influenced the entire renaissance of films but you're right in every project that he had a hand in there was a clear just like just some kind of uh, just uh, reflection of what was going on in the moment. And, you know, specifically with like Beauty and the Beast and AIDS, that whole timing of everything, um, you really see that come to life. So yeah, I'm just really glad you brought that up because I think that plays a bigger role into the whole history of Little Mermaid. Well, it's really important for, again, just motivation. Like, so for again, like, I'm so sorry to Halle Bailey, but the moment where she has the part of their world reprise and she's on the rock, there's a thing where she's just like moving. Yeah, she like rock. crawls. Yeah, and I'm weird. like, this is so, it's so, hey, get to this point so you can do this thing. And mm-hmm. it's not, I'm climbing up a rock to move myself in a position. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. I'm moving because I have to move, not I'm moving because I want to move. Sure. And the things... Like, again, there's just so much about this movie where I kept being, like, beautiful movie. Like, I felt like, um, what is it? Patti LaBelle, I think it is. Is it Patti LaBelle or Aretha? Or, like, Beautiful Gowns. Have you ever seen that? Mm-mm. There's this clip, for those of you who know, where uh, maybe it's Aretha Franklin, maybe it's someone else, who they constantly ask them what you think about other divas. And her reaction is, beautiful gowns. <laughs> dresses really well and that's how I feel about this movie I'm like it's beautiful 
beautiful movie. Everyone looks fantastic. Like the the acting, no, no, ma'am, not there. <laughs> not well. Here's and this is what I said. Like you have to go into this movie knowing what you're getting. Like what you said, with when you go into a Fast and Furious movie, you have to know what you're signing up for in order to get the most out of it. And I feel like these Disney movies are specifically catered to these Disney adults and other millennials who have these childhood like attachments to these properties that they can. Um, try to, you know, market to us in a way that we can pass it down to another generation of future consumers. Like, that's really just what it comes down to. And it, it, what's sad is that, at least with this movie, and I felt like with their other movies as well, like Aladdin, the things that were the most interesting to watch were times where they did original stories, where, like, they broke off from the animated story that I knew, like, the back of my hand, and they added new elements into it. And I was like, I kind of wish there was just, like, more of that. I kind of wish there wasn't this, like, hey, we have to hit all of the beats of the original. And it was like, okay, we know the original, great. Now let's get it out of our mind and look, what's the best story that we could tell right now? And I feel like that's the difference between The Little Mermaid that came out in 89 versus the one that came out. Like you said, there was addressing like all of these cultural things subtly in a way that it really made a splash <laughs> um, <laughs> in the time it came out. And this movie, for whatever reason, as entertaining as it was for Friday night when I took an edible, like yeah. it, it just like it, I don't know that it would have a life in and of itself past that time, like my that Friday night for me specifically. I, so. I agree. Like I will say there are two performances that I need to applaud. One is Noma Du Mzwendi. I'm so sorry. She plays the queen. Uh, first of all, oh, she's in great. general, she's always good. I enjoy almost everything that she does. She is a great actor in general. And she does really... I was like, you're acting. You have studied acting. You're giving me a performance. I like yours. Her, but then also I got to give props to Jessica Alexander, who plays Vanessa. Because oh, that okay. girl understood her role like yeah. everyone else. eric again it's like you go from point here to point here you kind of are into ariel you kind of are under a spell um, okay whatever like ev no, everyone's kind of really lacking motivation for me except vanessa she came up and i was like this girl watched that movie and she was like oh i know what i'm doing and she came <laughs> in and she just she had like two minutes of screen time and acted her ass off specifically when the necklace gets broken yeah and yeah, yeah. Ursula, and she switches she does the switch up he does that thing where i'm like yes you are giving me animation come to life like yeah. your your scene killer i loved it so much and i was like if the entire movie was this I would live because she understood and she did so much with the little bit of screen time that I didn't get from anyone else. I, you know what? I'll say this because I, 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 this is something I did like about this new movie. And I feel like it does a better job of giving me a reason for why Eric and Ariel would want to be together yes. than the original. And the original, it just felt like the song and the physical attraction was really all there was. Um, but this movie really makes it clear that Ariel is like, when she's like on the ship in the, in the opening scene, an uh, opening uh, act, She's watching Eric and hearing him talk about the world and she's falling in love with what he's saying more than how he looks. Whereas Correct. in the animation, she's just like, look at how gorgeous he is. And it feels like 
and pros and cons. Yes, it's greater, I think, to have Ariel find a real attraction to this man. But is it more believable that a 17-year-old would make naive choices that she needs to learn lessons from? Because to me, that's kind of the whole lesson of The Little Mermaid. Is this girl who was like, you know, Flotsam and Jetsam were like, oh, she's not, she can't take it. Oh, no, I can, I can, you know, I'll, I'll yeah, jump into exactly. a situation I don't understand. Like, it's kind of like a Pinocchio in that way. It's almost like the lesson of what it means to be naive. And that doesn't really come across as clearly in this one. The last little bit where it's in the animated movie and it's in this movie where Sebastian's just like, it's like I say, you got to let kids go and find themselves. It's like, that's actually what the moral is supposed to be. It's supposed to be like, even though we've all like read it wrong and like had our own, the whole moral is for a parent, you have to let your child be your child and let them be themselves. And there's only but so much you can do. Hope you raise them right set them free into the world. So in that aspect, I was like, I like this change. I also kind of liked their thing of Ariel being illiterate and therefore she doesn't sign a contract. She just pulls one of her scales and they're like, it's written in blood. I was like, oh, makes sense. I like this change. But there is also just like moments where I'm like, why why did we make this change? (laughs) Like again, why- why why is the statue not of Eric? Like what does what does that yeah. do by it not being Oh, was it? I thought it was supposed to be of Eric. I just thought it, it was supposed to be a shitty statue. Yeah, no, no. It's just a it's just a statue for what I can tell. It's um, not Eric. I, I do want to say that there was a few things that uh okay, so that specific scene, there were so many times where Javier Bardem, I wanted to like him as as King Triton, and I thought he did a fine enough job. But again, it's just it to me it's so obvious that they're like in a studio. Like, why yes. is your voice? have an echo underwater there were so many little things where i was just like this doesn't feel like you're in the real world at all it doesn't feel like you're interacting with each other that's another thing like i felt like no one was in the room with each other like it's just like javier they weren't they weren't in the room where it happens lin-manuel like javier bardem isn't acting as if he is talking to a crab he is acting as if he's talking to a spot that he's supposed to look at yeah and that made me sad because I'm like, you are, again, beautifully, you look beautiful, beautifully casted. You work yeah. as Triton, but you're not, I, I know you're better than this is how I feel. You know, you know what? Here's, here's something, you know, when you go to see Lion King on Broadway, um, it's, it's a really incredible experience because what you're seeing are people who have transformed themselves into puppets or have mastered puppetry in such a way that you kind of can like mentally blur out the fact that there's people in these puppets that are animated and you can just watch it for how it is. It's such a creative approach to a problem of like, how do we tell a story, uh, you know, with an animal? And when you think of like Adam's family or Wednesday, what they were able to do with the thing and by making the thing an actual hand, versus it being CGI. There is something about an actual performance that to me, I will always prefer. I will always rather prefer to watch the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when they're in those costumes versus CGI ones because it, it feels like they're in the room. They're physical, it's real. And I feel like that's part of like these performance issues that you're talking about where it's like, it doesn't feel like they're connecting. 
because there's so much that our brain has to fucking bypass in order to make sense of what we're seeing with our eyes that it's almost hard like yeah it doesn't feel like you're connecting because you are look like you're in an air-conditioned room underwater Javier Bardem like of course it doesn't feel real it's almost honestly Ant-Man felt the same when they went to the quantum realm I was just like oh you guys all look well lit and behind the green screen and like it just all feels so it didn't feel that way to me ant-man but i i'll say i can understand how if anyone feels like i felt about watching this movie like they felt about ant-man i was like oh i can understand why people are complaining because to me melissa mccarthy is in some contraction that restricts her movement she's Mm -hmm. not underwater she's moving her body as if she has to lift herself up and she needs to lay down and they've put limitations on like what she can do and move on, but she's not fluid. And that's upsetting because the point about Ursula is she glides. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. It's like, there's so much that's restricted by it being live action. That makes me be like, I just much rather you not do it. If that's the case, you know what I mean? Well, that's how I felt when you were like, at the beginning, you were like, I think they're doing well with water. I was like, I did not get that feeling. And I feel like they have a long way to go before they can like really perfect it. And maybe part of it- I meant the animation of the water, not them in water. Because Finding Nemo, where you have like a CGI fish underwater, I feel like, yeah, they can make that probably look a lot more lifelike than a human underwater. Well, so, but that's what, and I want to thank you for that because I want to clarify. The sea creatures underwater- work really well the turtles yeah yeah they like, all looked great all of that it works like the um part of oh, sorry the under the sea visuals are amazing and i believed everything and again i'm like all you had to do was add a coral background i don't even need to see anybody's lips move <laughs> i would get it because my mind would be like okay 50 characters coral sound it works i don't need to see anybody with a microphone i don't need to see anybody with a tambourine in order to sell it but the fact that you didn't even try shows me that you were focused on the wrong things. And um, God, there was something I was going to say about just kind of like, it It just, oh, I remember. Again, I want to say, Halle Bailey, beautiful. Everyone in this water felt like they were in a pool. Of like Not the ocean, but like they were in a, a soundstage pool. And that they have not been underwater. I want you guys to understand, there is a way to act. Like, Splash is a perfect example of people who, like, that. you're in water, but she acts like she's been in water her entire life. She doesn't act like, like, there's so many times where, like, I see Halle Bailey just be, like, almost like water on her face is unnatural. And it's like, you live in the ocean. Like, why... (laughs) Why are you looking as if being wet is so uncomfortable? And I just need a director to kind of put the nose to the ground. And so what you're talking about is James Cameron. What you're talking about is someone who's like, hey, I'm going to spend 20 years and create the technology to make underwater sequences look real. Disney's like... This is really about making money for us more than spending money. So we're going to do it the way we know how. But not even James Cameron. James Cameron needs like a huge budget. Splash was not that big of a budget. And still, Daryl Hannah was able to convince me that she had lived in water her entire life. Like there's just a comfort. 
there was a place uh, in Florida where they actually had these like diving mermaids who would be able to hold their breaths and go under and swim around and you could like eat dinner and like watch these mermaids swim and like you know that talent of just being able to hold your breath for a long time and make it almost look effortless as if you're not needing to gasp for air is such a talent and one of those things where it's like yeah let's get humans to do an incredible thing that like only certain humans could do like that's why I come to the movies is to see incredible shit and like I don't need a computer to create all of that when humans are capable. And it almost feels, like I said, a little lazy. And like, clearly, if the technology can't do it well enough, then why try well, to make also, it do again, it anyway? To me, I don't even need you. I'm talking about the parts where like they're halfway out of water, the mer people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's just like there's there's this thing where I'm like, you didn't have a director who cared enough to be like, do it again. And you have this look on your face. Like, remember, you are a mermaid. You live in the ocean. So I need you to look like being in water is the most natural thing. Or I don't need you to look like you're holding your breath when you're about to go under. You know, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Just, like, like, there's just... <laughs> the whole, that whole sequence where, like, at the end... So the thing that was so frustrating was that you're you're talking about at the very end, um, you know, Prince Eric and Ariel sailing off on their honeymoon and people are on the beach and mer people have sprouted up and they're all kind of wishing them well. What you're not seeing is the fact that we as an audience have never met any of these mer people because they weren't in the opening sequence like they were supposed to be. And we didn't see them swimming around anywhere else. We've only seen sisters in Triton at this point. And also... There apparently has been a decades-long war beef between humans and mer people, and you're telling me that they're all just like, "Oh, it's a wedding! Like, let's just come up there and just wave them." But all. it's not a like, like, oh, <laughs> the the fact that we don't get a mermaid wedding dress will will bother me. But I also was like, they established that she's young, whatever. But <laughs> but just that whole thing of just like, oh, like, yeah, there's mer people here, and for the humans to have seen a, a sea witch come up and then just be like, ah, oh, you know what? Let's just enjoy the party. It, to me, it just felt like it, it, it's 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 odd to throw in this whole mythology between humans and mer people. If you're going to have them come together without anyone acknowledging, hey, this is the first time any of us have really been together and we've been fed fear about each other for our entire lives. Triton and Ursula, like that, that should be beef. That should be on site. Like, yeah. as you said, there are just so many moments where I was like, I felt, I felt the camera was looking the wrong way. Like you said, there's this moment where like Ariel turns around and everyone's just, mer people are just there. And it's like, no, to your point, there needs to be a moment of the mer people ascending out of the water and being like, hey, we're going to stand here with you. And for the humans to be like, oh, I guess we got to figure out how to be with mer people now you know Bro, like are you ever are you ever at the beach and just see like dolphins or whales or anything you ever like i go to in the beach and i'm in <laughs> awe i'm just like wow like uh, an actual whale just like out there doing its thing like in california you can get really lucky seeing that shit and if i saw a mermaid or a like a group of mer people the expression I would have would be like that whole, like the, uh, you know, E.T. When the uh, when the uh, shit comes down at the exactly. end, and everyone's in awe. Like, I, I was thinking the, the Santa Claus. Face. The Santa oh, Claus? Oh, yeah. When you see him flying for the first time and everyone's like, wow, like magic exists. Like, there is none of that in the third act at all. And it's kind of disappointing. Um, last little bit, uh, for me, and then I, you seem to have opinions about songs, so I want you to go into that. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. 
the last little opinion for me is there is also always a moment as an adult you watch these things and i was like this was this is product placement so when he gives her the little mermaid she's like oh my little mermaid i was like as cute as this is that is made so you will sell me little figurines and you know like like i just say i'm like this is that's what this is here for so you can sell the little 4k blu-ray box set exactly exactly so uh that's like i i'm not gonna lie i thought i wasn't upset that i went there was just lack of acting lack of motivation and that's so upsetting to me because i went back and i rewatched a lot of the animated clips and i was like yeah see there's motivation here there's little touches of movement that tell a story when I'm looking at it, when I'm looking at Ursula, when I'm looking at part of their world, when I'm looking at Under the Sea, there's little movements and nuances that an actor can absolutely do. I pointed out the girl who played Vanessa because she, to me, it's like, I don't understand how you were able to do this, but you gave me every motivation that the animated version had. So I know it's possible. I, I don't know. I, I feel like every time I see one of these movies, I'm more in awe of the simplicity and beauty of animation and the fact that you are able to convey so much with just a drawing versus a performance. Like, I don't know. I I, I purposely did not go back and rewatch the animated version. I went into this with the lowest expectations possible. So, uh, you know, I went I, after. I think I, I went oh, after. yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing I wanted to say about the music. Okay, so I was a little disappointed because, as you know, I'm a massive fan of both Lin-Manuel and Alan Minkin, who did the music of this. I saw Alan Minkin in concert, like, a month and a half ago. It was great. Alan Minkin wrote all the favorite Disney songs of your childhood. He's amazing. And the thing about him collaborating with Lin-Manuel, which I was really excited about, is not only... Um, you know, the fact that Lin-Manuel is really responsible for some of the greatest recent Disney songs when you think about Encanto and Moana. Um, you know, I feel like he has created music that can live alongside those classic Disney movies in a way that um, I don't even think like Frozen 2 or any of that shit can really kind of hold up to. Um, but it was like the collaboration of the two is something I was really looking forward to. And I was hoping that together they would be able to create an original song that for me would outlive this movie experience. And to me, I didn't get that. I thought Scuttlebutt was so out of pocket for what this movie was. If you're listening to the soundtrack, I just feel like it kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, there's not enough Afro-Caribbean the infusion to the soundtrack that I was hoping to get for a rap song to organically be able to pop up in a way that makes me go, okay, yeah, sure. You know, when, when Scuttle starts rapping to me, it feels like, okay, if you, if you go back and watch, um, uh, the Lion King, they re when they first released it onto Blu-ray, they added in this new song called The Morning Report. Yeah. And it was uh, Uzazu coming in and he's telling, you know, Mufasa and Simba about the, what's going on in the, uh, and I know, kingdom. yeah. And they're practicing whether or not they're going to jump on Zazu. And it was a song that I guess was cut, but they added it in. And when they added it in, I was like, oh, this is interesting, but it just doesn't feel like it belongs with the rest of these songs. And it doesn't feel like it was worth animating for this song. And I felt the same about Scuttlebutt. I was just like, this could have been a, you know, 
a few minutes of just dialogue that they stretched out into this song that doesn't feel like it works with the rest of the soundtrack. And so that's why I was a little disappointed. And, you know, uh, there was this other thing I kept thinking was going to happen that didn't happen that kind of, I was like, wow, that would have made this work a lot better for me. They go out of their way to say like, hey, Prince Eric was found as a baby. Yes. And so I thought they were going to tie it in so that Ariel's mom saved him. And that she was killed while she was trying to save him. Interesting. I thought they were going to tie it together in such a way so that that's the reason why that siren song meant so much to Eric. I just thought there was going to be more of a connection there. And that was me just like, again, expecting way too much from a movie that was like, really, this is about the payday for us. I, I don't think anyone went into making this movie with ill intention. I feel like everyone really tried to probably make the best movie they could. I for me ultimately if you the problems start with the CGI and I think the CGI affects almost every other aspect of both performance and you know overall like story structure that we get throughout the movie like it all just feels kind of all over the place and jumbled and um yeah I mean not upset I saw it but am I gonna watch it again uh... I don't know you know like I'll say it's it's funny we didn't really get into like the changes that this movie made which I yeah. I feel for the most part most of them work there are ones where i'm like why like again like for me not having the concert why like it it could have been a small affair not having the choral again there is something that is lacking when you don't have this is your beautiful community that you're leaving you're leaving behind so much for this but you think that it's worth it that i really Oh, I was right. gonna say I really enjoyed the scene that Ariel and Eric have in like that library. It was like, oh, absolutely, so this, uh, because you know one of the complaints about the original is the fact that this girl has no voice, so she can't consent to anything, and so whether you know whatever. And this movie kind of makes that seem like a non-issue. There's so much body language that Halle Bailey is able to so, communicate. I'm gonna stop you right there because I disagree. As oh, someone, okay. wait, wait. Here's the thing: as someone who has who grew up with uh, deaf people, who has watched art with deaf people, to deaf mute individuals, to see Halle Bailey's performance be so muted, literally. I'm like, the thing about the animated movie and real life people who can't speak is they're usually still very animated. I can't talk. But my hands still move. I I can still expressive. I smile big smiles. I'm eager to like do things and point things You're out. Right, and yeah. there's like an eagerness to Ariel. Ariel's like, look, I can't speak, but that doesn't matter because like the life that's coming out of me is what's intriguing to Eric. He's like, she this girl can't even speak, and yet I feel like I know everything she's saying. You know, I, I that's I guess not that's what true. we like- get. She's not overly animated like that, but I guess what I was kind of speaking to was more so this idea that, like, I could see why they would actually like each other and fall in love in a way that I didn't understand in the original. When they're going over Globe, she's genuinely interested in hearing his his story. She's excited to know more. She wants to hear about others. She's pulling out more maps. Tell me more. Like, I'm into this shit, bro. Like, and you know, when they're going out, she's the one who's like, no, let's make this horse go faster. I want to row the boat. Like, I loved that energy out of Ariel and I think again that's more so the way she was written um, but it just made me feel like that they had a more genuine connection than in the animated film and I'll I, give you that. I, 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 I like that. that 
you know, I kept saying wedding accidentally because I'm thinking about the animated version, but I kind of like that this one didn't really end with like that. Like it was just kind of them sailing off and becoming explorers together. Love that. Here's the thing. Yeah, I will not deny that that is a ending that fits this movie. Mm -hmm. It does. I will admit that. But as a fan of like that dress moment is so important when Triton changes Ariel from like having fins to that sequenced gown. There are just like things that this movie they were an affront to gay people. It's like, how <laughs> dare you take this away? How dare you do this? You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing in the sense that, like, I feel like Eric and Ariel make sense in this storyline. Like, he, that moment in the library, the idea of him getting her out of the castle, and like all this other stuff, it does work. I just wanted more heart. I wanted more acting. I wanted more expression. You know, uh. I, I give David Diggs a lot of credit because I didn't have a lot of high expectations go for him going into that role based off just the little things I heard in the trailer. And I did think he did a good job and he was able to have um, the humor that uh, was good comic relief when needed. However, there was something to me that was just like, I'm listening to a man doing a Jamaican impression versus hearing a Jamaican voice. When and Jamaicans when actually, exist. <laughs> well, yeah, when like, Bohemians, like there's actual Caribbean people with these genuine accents. And so there was one point where they were like in the town and there was, uh, I, I don't know, let's call him Jamaican or just some kind of like black Caribbean man who was speaking to Ariel and had like a genuine accent. And I was like, oh, that's what's kind of missing. I just need like an actual, like some something authentic to be in this movie. And I think that kind of is a, a larger, like a, a small thing that kind of hints at the bigger issue with this movie, which is that nothing feels authentic. Correct. And whether it be the performances or the stories or anything, like it all just feels like, hey, we're going to put together a big show and we know it's going to be a hit no matter what. Versus like, what's the best story we can tell that will have a lasting impression on people for decades to come, which Correct. I feel like the original did so well. Absolutely. I feel like, honestly, I'm done talking about this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to say? Or is there any- No, I just that? like, you know- it, Again, just to put a little historical context on this, they were going to shut Disney animation down. All of the animators that had worked at the Disney studios had been moved off, off the studios onto trailers onto a different lot. And it was like, hey, guys, we're fighting for our lives right now. There's a fantastic doc documentary on um, Disney Plus called Waking Sleeping Beauty who, that goes into this, if you guys are interested in learning more. But this is the reason why we got such great work because artists were fighting for their livelihoods and like this, the, the future of animation. Like they were truly like, hey, no bullshit. We are doing only quality work from this point on. And I don't feel like that is the, like, the attitude towards the movies that Disney is putting out. Pixar even feels like it's losing that as well. And, you know, for right now, with all the things I'm hearing about across the Spider-Verse, it just feels like Disney is kind of losing this animation and the storytelling game that they had created their entire brand around to other storytellers who are more hungry to do more original storytelling. So, yeah. It's, well, they're more it's hungry. A... They're willing to take more chances. They're willing yeah. to, like... They're also willing to tell stories um, that, to your point, I don't think that... No one wanted to tell 
this story they wanted to remake this movie and there's yeah. a difference um and you can tell the difference cruella is a perfect example of someone who wanted to tell a story and they told that story beautifully but if they were to just do i don't know a live action remake i actually watched the little mermaid and i was like i don't want a live action hercules because i don't know if you can give me what i'm supposed to get no okay so here's 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 how (laughs) i feel about this because there's obviously Broadway versions of Hunchback and Hercules um, that they could easily adapt into film. Um, The reason why I feel like those movies might work better is because they don't have to, especially like something like Hunchback and Notre Dame, doesn't have to use a lot of CGI. You can make that just more of a human story and have it still work. Hercules, on the other hand, will require an incredible amount of cgi and if you don't do it well it's not going to work but see there's so much about those performances and songs that need to hit in order for it to work that's what i'm saying i don't i'm saying when i say i don't need it it's because it's like i don't i don't trust you to give me the emotions uh t knows this and i because i i told him before but um kind of like to wrap this up and as my homework you said um i'm gonna just put this out there as homework waking sleeping beauty uh for you and then yeah, so on Disney Plus, yeah. For me, uh, I just there was a bunch of YouTube clips that I like I went down a rabbit hole. One is Titus Burris doing Poor Unfortunate Souls. Incredible. And Incredible. he to me, I was like, see, this is someone who understood what his character's motivations were. He was not singing a cover of a song. He was performing yeah. a song with a unique take, with a yeah. new unique character. This person understood the end goal of his song. And so he performed it with that in mind. And I was like, yes. Then I went from there to what I've spoken about before, a remake, like a group of guys who did the songs from Hercules that all the muses do called mm-hmm. Muses Melody. You can find it online on YouTube. And I was like, this is a choir. We are getting harmonies. These are people who understand what Hercules was trying to do. And they gave us a new take on it that made me so excited. And it felt fresh. It didn't feel like a cover. It felt like people who understood the intention and then elevated it and that's what i want from a live action anything or redo of anything i think like things like um dream girls is a perfect version of that where it's like oh no no jennifer hudson's did not cover uh and i'm going nowhere she performed a unique original versions and of and i'm telling you to where it stands on its own. You don't even really compare them because you're like, no, this is this version and this is that version. And I could listen to either one a thousand times. I may have my favorite, but both are legitimate and stand on their own. And this does not feel uh, like that. I was just going to say another great example of that is um, Hairspray, the non-musical version to the musical version. Seeing someone do a remake where you're taking the essence of the original film without feeling tied to hitting the beat for beat story, uh, you know, notes that they hit in the original um two things i want to say to you before we wrap up um one did you see the jody benson cameo where 
Okay, so Jodie Benson, who was the voice of the original Little Mermaid, and I just know her face so well because she yeah. did all the press for Little Mermaid forever. She was always in the VHS and DVD releases yeah. that they did. Um, she's the one who gives uh, Ariel the fork for her ah. food that she starts to do okay. her I, You know what? I think I did see it, but again, this movie, it's not really memorable, so yeah. I forgot. But I think for I her to give that. her that fork, uh, to me, I think I, I did see that. Yeah, really perfect. Keep going. Um, and my second thing to you was, okay, so what Disney remake would you like to see? Like, if you could pick None. one movie. I have no confidence say... in anything at this point. Wow. In like, I just don't. I like seeing this, seeing The Lion King, seeing Aladdin, where I'm like, these are all colorful, rich environments. And for some reason, Disney just wants to strip all of it. There's a reason why I keep going back to Cruella, because I feel like Cruella was one where it's like, it was in color. The fashion, the everything was like punched in a way that made me understand the people who made this made it way better than it had to be because they were in love with the story that they were telling. And at this point in time, I don't want to see a single remake of anything unless you are in love with the story you're telling. That's how I feel. I, I feel like we're at a really interesting time with these Disney remakes because they have done live action versions of all of the classic animated films, the the heavy hitter classic animated films, and also the heavy hitter Renaissance films that we discussed have all already been made into films. I've been kind of waiting for them to get to this point because to me, it always seemed like it would be far more interesting, like you said, for them to make live action versions of movies that were not perfect masterpieces. Take something like The Rescuers, take something like, uh, you know, Black Cauldron, which was a failure and find what's good about this. What can we take from it? Um, and to me, like, if I had to like gun to my head, like this is the live action one I want you to make next, to me, it would be a Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like I said, you don't need a lot of CGI. The score of that music uh, of that movie, I think, is the greatest Disney score of any Disney movie. Fight me on this if you want to. Mm. There's mm. nothing better than the score to Hunchback of Notre Dame. And the Broadway version expanded upon the story in such a way that I have full confidence that if they were to take that Broadway version and turn it into a film, that they would do really well. They they give Esmeralda a lot more character. There's new songs that I feel like mix right into the original. So that would be my vote. And like you, I am a little protective of Hercules, but I also would be so curious to see it that I would probably I, see. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't trust you. And I, I, don't get me wrong. If they made it, I would go. But I feel like I'm just setting myself up for heartbreak. I also heard rumors that they're going to start pulling from newer movies to do live actions, like Frozen and Moana. And I'm like, bro, these movies are so new. Like, give these movies time to breathe. Why? Frozen's, what, Again, 10 years old? Why I, are we doing I, this? I think I've heard this before. A Quest Love doing Aristocats. That's something that I can handle. Dope. Dope. Like, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I want... uh. I take an Oliver and Company. Like, give me the Disney Vault live action, but someone who understands. Or again, if you want to go to these properties like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and all this, expand that universe. Like to me, I'm like, why are you cannibalizing yourself when you could literally just expand your universe and everyone would like you would have both things. 
Well, if we're talking realistically, they are cannibalizing their universe. They're really exhausting their audience. This is what Disney is doing. They're doing it with Star Wars. They're doing it with their princesses. They're doing it across the board. They are expanding their universes so much, giving us so much content that they are exhausting us on these IPs. And instead of taking all of this money and energy and talent that they have, like they did in the 80s, to create new content that could create new, you know, make a movie that will be able to be remade and 15 years into a live action, that focus isn't there because this this easy moneymaker is just hanging right there for him. And it's so obvious that that is the main drive and motivation for all of these. But it feels very short-sighted. It feels very, well, we're making money now. And it's like, yeah, but that does you no good if you've given, like it's it's changing HBO Max to Max. It's like, you're getting rid of the thing that everyone knows you for, for what? What was this for? So one person can make a lot of money, but you've ruined your legacy. By the way, I think something like Disney and Netflix and HBO and all, to me, this is a bigger conversation, but I think everyone needs to understand MGM doesn't exist anymore. There are studio. You can be a huge studio who just disappears and someone else takes your spot because if you don't remember why you got into this if you don't understand what people are coming to you for and you just become a cash cow well eventually people are going to leave you and go to where the heart of storytelling is and which is why i bring up like a spider-verse because that movie the the reviews that have been coming out for that movie say it's better than the first it's a perfect film the best spider-man movie and of course these are just like extremes but like clearly there are studios who are willing to take risk in animation and storytelling in ways that disney is not and you know to even further prove this last november the last disney animation made film that came out was a movie called strange world it got no press release whatsoever it, it got no press at all yeah. it was big yeah. um it did abysmal and there you know there's this online theory that's going around that like hey they really um created this sci-fi movie with uh, all of these like BIPOC characters um, and they didn't do anything with it, almost as if an excuse to say, well, this is why this doesn't work so we can move on. And, Are we talking and Disney it, now? Because like- we're, Yeah, we're talking Disney in general because this is what I'm talking about. They would rather remake this and say like they're doing something that's super woke by having a black Ariel. But when it comes to creating original stories with more like diverse cast that they can go on to build and create legacies out of, they're not investing that same kind of energy. They're not. Because like, I don't know if I said this to you, but I watched Luca not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is great. This is so fun. It's so good. It's it's a gay love story. And sure, yeah. Bite me on it. But like, it's a good movie. And I was like, oh, they like this was just not pushed on me. I didn't way. even know that came out in theaters. Like when it came out, I was just like, oh, did that? It was already released. It's on Disney Plus already. Like exactly. I had no idea. There are movies like that where you're like, why are why are you not really pushing your original movies? And I have to admit, it's just like whenever there's a movie with an accent or someone who has a little bit of different skin tone, those movies tend to be like the ones where they're like, Disney Plus. But whenever it's something that we've done a billion times over, it's their most expensive marketing campaign. And it's just like, why? Why? And, you know, you see that, like, Disney is being really smart strategically. You have, like... 
Coco and Encanto, they know that the fastest growing demographic in the U.S. is Latinos, and they are playing towards that. And yeah, so when it comes to creating original stories, they're not afraid to do that with Latinos. But that's the thing. They're not afraid. They're, they're not taking a risk. They're like, this is a sure thing. We know that this is an audience that will show up for our films. We're going to go ahead and invest highly to this. Versus, again, just kind of coming up with the best stories they can, reaching big demographics and taking risk on those demographics, taking risk on, you know, these stories from cultures that are not the ones that have been shoved down our throats over and over again. Disney, not only are they creating live action versions to movies we've already seen, we're seeing live action movies to movies they keep releasing in theaters over and over again. Little Mermaid, I saw in theaters like 10 years ago. Like they keep releasing these over and over again and they will not let this horse die. And so again, if you like this shit, you'll like this movie. But I think in general, I'm exhausted by not just these movies, but the way they're going about making them. Agreed. This this changed and turned. Uh, I only have one more thing, and I, I understand. I'm trying to wrap it up, everyone. Uh, but there is one more <laughs> thing that I think is important. With Ariel's sisters, there becomes a whole moment of them talking about, look at what these humans have done to our environment. Look at what they're doing to the ocean. Do they even care about the mess they're leaving behind with their shipwrecks? Like there's yeah. that moment and it goes nowhere. nowhere. And it's again, it's one of those things where it's like, why introduce a thought that you're not going to expand on? And I just, I, I just, I wanted to acknowledge that. That's it. Like if, if they were like, like the ship crashed on coral and like literally destroy the community and like gave like so much more reason for why there's this beef. Like they really could have expanded upon it, but yeah. Yeah. Guys, we could keep talking about this for hours. You know but... us. You know we can. <laughs> Ultimately, I feel like I got everything out. If you guys had feelings, if you loved it, reach out. If you hated it and you think we were right, reach out. Uh, this was our bonus episode. We wanted to give you guys something. We will be back next week with our season six report card. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoyed your holiday weekend. And uh, I think it's time to tell you to dream. To try and to do good. Later, bros. Later, bro. When the spawn meets world.